The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to Reform This. It's always great to be with you, and I hope listen before you're coming back to hear a voice of reason that patriotic american muslim voice that believes in this country believes in our constitution and you can come to to hear the stories that no one else will cover the stories that unfortunately for those obsessed pathologically with partisan politics or pathologically with the exaggeration of issues related to President Trump or whatever it might be, there is a world out there that is changing. There is a world out there with issues that continue to evolve, devolve, or revolt. And here on Reform This Week to Week, I hope to be able to, and I have been bringing you a discussion of really where the rubber meets the road on reform, where we as Muslims have been falling short where we as Muslims need to work to leave a legacy. And if you're non-Muslim, I hope you tell your friends that there are people out there, there are Americans out there who love this country and are working to defeat our enemies. Our enemies are increasing in numbers. And unfortunately, as we the problem with a whack-a-mole program, as we address the security threat, the terror threat as simply a threat of violence rather than ideology, We are going to leave ourselves naked, naked to advancing our own interests and unfortunately unprotected from a solution because solutions are never wrought by defense. They're wrought by and brought forward by offense. This week, our country celebrated the courage, the bravery, the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., celebrated the fact that Hundreds of years after our founding, we still had to learn as a country what the civil rights were clearly for those to be all equal under the law and not just some, especially in the African-American community. And there are deep principles there that are embodied in the life's work of Martin Luther King Jr. And he had so many things that he said that he taught us. And I think as an American Muslim, every year I'm reminded of the gifts that are this country. I'm reminded of what civil rights truly are. And that's why I do this work, this work against political Islam, because I believe, I believe that the civil rights battle for Muslims in the 21st century is in the mosques. The civil rights battle for Muslims in the 21st century is in Muslim-majority countries against their governments. The civil rights battle of the 21st century is in the state of mind, in the consciousness of the identity of what it means to be Muslim. Will we allow the collectivists, will we allow the theocrats, to dominate men and define what it means to be Muslim. And yet this week, true to form, the local Islamists in Arizona and America 
state to state, the Council on American Islamic Relations co-opted this holiday to remind Americans, non-Muslims, and lecture you, all of you, uneducated Americans, about the threat that you pose to us Muslims. That's what these embarrassment of Muslims say. The Islamist mantra is not about reform. It's not about honesty. It is about denial. It is about advocating the platform of the Islamist regimes from Saudi Arabia to Iran into America. Let me let me prove this to you this week. Nihad Awad was given inches of space on the homepage and on the op-ed pages of Time magazine to lecture you about, quote, of word usage, not to use defamatory cord words, the importance of word usage, not to use defamatory cord words, among the greatest lessons that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. taught us, which Awad goes on to describe, which American Muslims can apply today is the importance of well-coordinated strategies carried out by wide coalitions to change the written and the unwritten rules around how an entire community of Americans should and shouldn't be treated. He goes on to tell Muslims that we need to manipulate and use the media better to get our messages across. He goes on to tell Americans that Muslims' rights are being infringed and will only be lifted up when we use the media and the images that Martin Luther King used in order for Americans to understand our plight. That is the message that so-called American Muslim leaders are shoving down the throat of Americans and the left media from Time Magazine on are all too willing to oblige. Meanwhile, a few days ago, Newsweek actually finally turned the corner, finally had an op-ed that talked about four major sermons given across the country in the previous month that highlighted deep anti-Semitism. And you and I spoke about that last week in my previous podcast. Go back if you didn't listen to it. Listen, I talk about the scripture that needs to be addressed. It's not just those four sermons, North Carolina, New Jersey, and California, and elsewhere. It is the scripture of the Hadith that says, kill a Jew behind every stone that we need to expunge. Again, it's not the Quran, but the Hadith that is illegitimate that we need to reform. And yet nobody addresses it. So the cares of the world, the Council on American Islamic Relations, the Islamists that want us Muslims to see America through the lens of victimization, to see America and teach our children that this country is about bigotry, about anti-Muslim hate, or the term they use, Islamophobia, a term I reject. And then go across the world to Al Jazeera, our so-called ally Qatar, Qatar's information agency has on it the audacity, the hypocrisy to post strong quotes for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I say hypocrisy because here's the quotes. They say, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Seriously? A, a, a Arab theocracy run by a kleptocratic 
monarchical family, Althanes, is using Martin Luther quotes, Martin Luther King quotes, about injustice anywhere. How about the Middle East or Saudi Arabia? Isn't that a direct threat to justice everywhere by you all spreading your Islamist hate and supremacy across the planet? It is. So if you follow me, that is the civil rights battle of today. They go on to quote many other quotes. Every one of them is hypocrisy for Qatar Qatar to quote, just like it is for the Islamist groups that come here instead of embracing and loving America, they lecturing and patronizing Americans. And they say this is, they quoted Martin Luther King further and said this is why right temporarily defeated is actually stronger than evil triumphant. I believe that even amid today's mortar bursts and whining bullets, there is still hope for a brighter tomorrow. That's from Martin Luther King Jr. Al Jazeera posted it as what America is recognizing. They gave no recognition that this actually represents exactly the opposite of what they do in their own societies. Care gave no recognition that the principles they claim to be lifting are exploiting identity politics, exploiting the legacy of Martin Luther King in order to manipulate us Muslims into believing that we are victims, believing that we have an identity and an inferiority complex in America, instead of being honest with the reform that we need to lead. And that reform needs to address the core pathologies. When we come back, I want to talk to you about what real, what a real civil rights movement would look like for Muslims in America. And it's not against the majority. This country gives us freedom that we can't get anywhere else. A real civil rights movement for women's rights, for the rights of any minority, for free speech against the boards and other establishment has yet to happen. That's what we should have exemplified from the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. This is Zudi Jasser, and we'll be right back with more. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to Reform This. We're talking about uh, the holiday earlier this week of Martin Luther King Jr.'s day of legacy of civil rights. What does it mean to American Muslims? What does it mean to the struggle for freedom and liberty in America or globally? 
And I think the question you should ask your Muslim friends is one, as I've said before, is based in tough love. Do they practice and preach and demand the same principles of civil liberties in the mosques, in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, in the mosques in America, in Detroit, in New Jersey, in North Carolina, in California, that they demand of the civil rights given to them and protected by the rest of America? Do they amplify the voices of supposed right-wing hate that we hear amplified daily and attributed to sometimes the entire Republican Party by media arms like CNN and MSNBC, do Muslim leaders focus on that the same or more than they do the real civil rights abuses that affect us? If you ask me any day when when I look at the things that are important to me, religion is one of them. My relationship with God is one of them. What I choose or choose not to do within my faith is a significantly high priority as it is for the vast majority of Americans that Christian, Jewish, or whatever your faith may be, the ability to pick and choose what we practice in our faith and how we practice it and how we assemble and communicate with the leadership of our faith is an important part of being an American. And yet American Muslims, if you ask them what is limiting their ability to practice their faith, they blame non-Muslims who are never at their mosques who might demonstrate here or there, who might have a sign in their window or say some things that might appear to be bigoted occasionally. But on a day-to-day basis, if you ask American Muslim women how they're treated in the mosque every Friday, every weekend, do they have representation on the boards? If you decide to question whether you wear a hijab, how are you treated by the rest of the community? in your local faith community? Do they have the influence? Do they have the courage to set up new mosques, to divide more so that ideologically ideologically they are freer to be themselves and less stratified between theocrats, salafists, and liberals? Is there the freedom to do that, or do they feel a suffocation of being a minority so they have to put up with a fundamentalist control of those who obsess and dominate and control the mosque leaderships? Do we have Muslim institutions outside the mosque that represent us and we don't allow the mosque to become the only representatives of American Muslims or the simple Islamist alphabet soup of care, ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America, Muslim Public Affairs Council, or other Islamist groups that decide to become the representative of Muslims and ignore, ignore the plight of Muslims inside the mosque. So the real civil rights battle for Muslims is inside or at the sides, in the margins of our mosques and our Muslim organizations. The laboratory we have here can be translated to the battle on the streets of Iran, on the streets of Syria, where they can't build institutions. So the women in Iran who are marching and telling the government, you should care more about what's in my head than around my head. American Muslims 
are for the most part ignoring and actually allowing the hijab to become a political symbol of unification of Muslims against the non-Muslims where hijab is an identity, where Americans are forced to believe that the Muslim Olympian with the hijab, who was the fencer, was more representative of American Muslims than the Muslim track star who did not wear a hijab because it didn't fit their identity politics to identify a Muslim who wasn't wearing her Muslim identity on her forehead, but rather had it in her heart. That's the civil rights battle. It's the civil rights battle about the consciousness of being Muslim, the consciousness of fighting misogyny that exists from the pulpits in the mosque where women often are denied the right to divorce, the right to have their voices heard, the right to push back against predators like the accused accusations we've seen now against Tariq Ramadan, imams in Dallas, and elsewhere who have huge pulpits that have been attached sort of to the Me Too movement. But I would tell you in the Muslim community, it's very different. We we have issues regarding Islamic law and the rights of women who, according to Sharia, often have half the voting rights in a legal proceeding, have a quarter of the inheritance from their family, and so many other things that need reform for true equality, that that is the civil rights movement of the day. As, as you listen to women leaders like Ezra Nomani, like Rahil Raza, like Shireen Kudosi, and so many other women leaders in the reform movement and leadership and writers and thinkers of Muslims in the United States and across the world, they will tell you, they call the enemies of true liberalism, true civil liberties in Islam, they call them the honor brigade. And the honor brigade is, as Ezra has called them, the the theocrats of Qatar, the theocrats of Saudi Arabia, of Al-Azhar, and of the mosques in the United States that love to label and dismiss us Muslims as non-Muslims, as kafir, because we reject the importance of their agenda, that our agenda somehow is limited because we don't have degrees and credibility from their Islamic indoctrination establishment centers. Their establishment is in denial. That is the civil rights battle of today, is their establishment is in denial. We need you to help us lift up against the establishment of the Council on American-Islamic Relations and other organizations that are peripheralizing the importance of the real civil rights battle. It is an abomination that Nihad Awad wasted your time in Time magazine lecturing to Americans and to Muslims how to exploit the media rather than using your time fruitfully to talk about how we can use the media platforms to change the agenda from countering violent extremism to the need to counter violent Islamism. Or to talk about the fact that the best nuclear deal 
to prevent the nuclear armamentation of Iran is regime change. Not a whisper from the care sycophants of Islamists globally, the Wahhabi lobby that will stop at nothing to always be silent and ignore Saudi expansionism and alliances, or even Iranian expansionism in their interviews on Press TV and elsewhere, they ignored the plight of Iranian heroes this week. Contrary to groups like the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies that put out in their Iran project this week a list of just 10 of the thousands of prisoners of conscience and those tortured since the revolution began. I call it a revolution. It's still a uprising, if you will, or a revolt on January 2nd, 2018. They named Sayyid Shahab Abtahi, a 20-year-old whose body was dropped off in front of his house of his father in Iraq in central Iran after more than a week in detention. Arayar is Behab Abadi. His body was said to be found in Karun River in southwestern Iran after he disappeared during protests. Ali Puladi died in the police station in Kalus, northern Iran, during protests. Kanush Zandi. Authorities called his family to inform that they can pick up his body. He said to have been detained by the Ministry of Intelligence prior. Saru Garamni, 24-year-old, he and Zandi were from Sandaj, Kurdish province, and were found dead. Vahid Haidari, authorities claimed he committed suicide during detention in Iraq. They tried to intimidate his family to not talk to the media. His lawyer was also arrested later. We've seen that story. In Saudi Arabia, where cases like Rafe Bedoui and then his attorney becomes a prisoner within a few weeks. Reports circling on social media that Mohammed Nasri from Zenjen also died under torture. Sina Ganbari, 21 years old, died on his birthday. The government claimed he was an addict and committed suicide in Evan Prison. Evan Prison is that horrific, torturous prison of prisoners of conscience tortured for supposedly criticizing Islam. And we know that it's part of the theocrats' hellhole in which they tyrannically destroy dissent. That's the civil rights battle of today, but now we're not covering that. We got the obsession on President Trump. We got the partisan politics. We've got the Muslim Islamists in America blaming America, and no one, no one is talking about the civil rights battle of today, which is in the mosques, in the Islamic organizations, in the Islamic establishment that needs to be marginalized and defeated. Change that. Don't allow, don't allow the Islamists and their governments and their regimes and the left and the identity left to determine what our agenda is. If your agenda is truly reform, truly modernization is the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., then join me in lifting up the voices of the oppressed within the Muslim community who are oppressed by other dominant establishment theocrats. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.
listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Next, I want to talk to you about sort of the other side of the world. Those who we talk about a colorblind society after Martin Luther King holiday. We talk about avoiding bigotry, marginalizing the haters, coming together as one country. All wonderful, wonderful American principles of a country built on immigration, a country built on those coming from other countries where they had less or no freedoms. But the American Muslim community, I would tell you that one of the best ways to prove the legitimacy of our reform is if there is ever somebody that exploits the sensitivity of Americans by producing fake crimes, by lying about the persecution. If there is anybody that ever does that, they should become a pariah. And anyone that endorsed them should become a pariah of our society. And Muslims especially should expose it. Because as any faith community, as any race community can tell you, that if they become labeled by those who cry wolf and are exploiting the sensitivities, it hurts the entire collective. So we've seen some cases of uh, fake crimes already. There was, uh, in December 2016, the hijab-wearing Yasmin Sawaid, 18, was arrested for filing a false police report in New York. She claimed that some Donald Trump supporters had attacked her and that she was called a terrorist on the subway train. Later, the New York Police Department did their good work and exposed the fact that she then admitted making up the story because she had been out drinking with her friends and used that in order to cover that up. Now, it was dismissed by many, saying that, well, she had her own problems, etc. But there are multiple layers of reform there that needed to be addressed. One is, why does a young girl feel that she can't be frank and open with her parents? Now, this is not just a Muslim issue. We see this all the time in kids that don't have a non-threatening relationship with their parents. But in the Islamist community, in the tribal community, it is a hundred times more because of the honor, the, the, the pathological level in which family honor and other things are given. As we see in honor crimes against girls, we've seen women mutilated, girls abused and murdered often by their parents because they date, because they drink. So... We're in denial as Muslims if we don't see these as signs of a much deeper, deeper and pervasive problem that is the underbelly of public Islamism and theocratic domination. So Wade's example is one of them. That was back in December 2016. And she admitted it to being false and the layers of that falsity are well known. Now recently, this week, and there have been other cases, by the way. Right before that last case, in November 11, two, before I get to this week, in November 11, 2016, a Muslim student made up allegations that a white man told her to remove her hijab or else it would set her on fire. 
This was the University of Michigan campus, was cited as an example of a spike in hate crimes, according to Tariq Fatah in the Toronto Sun. And this was supposedly an example of hate crimes in the wake of Donald Trump's victory. And then they determined it wasn't true. But Tarek wrote about, and others have written about, including Deborah Hine at PJ Media, about this Muslim girl in Canada that made up a story that fooled Canada about a hate crime against her. She's 11 years old. Kuala Numan. She was flanked at the press conference, as Tarek writes, by her mother in niqab and a Muslim activist from Mississauga, And then she claimed that an Asian man cut her hijab with scissors, which would have been a physical impossibility. Because to cut it through the winter jacket was not only impossible, if unless the jacket was removed, it just didn't happen that way. And there was more to the story. But within hours of the story, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and he, you and I have talked about him before with some of the pathologies, you know, this is the guy who just recently paid $10 million to the victims of a, a and not to the victims, I wish to the victims, paid $10 million to the terrorist himself who killed an American and I believe injured or also killed a Canadian in Afghanistan. Well, the prime minister appeared with his Muslim citizenship minister, Ahmed Hussein, Hussein, to validate the yet unsubstantiated story of a Muslim being attacked because of her religion. And then the Toronto Mayor, John Tory, and Kathleen Wynne, Premier, both, as Tarek writes, facing elections, joined the chorus of condemnation without waiting for any police confirmation about whether a crime had been committed. So we keep jumping, jumping to wanting to protect, protect this sort of through a bigotry of low expectations, this lens that the Muslim community must be coddled. And you know, we get it. We had the, the the clock boy who turned out to be a complete farce whose case was thrown out of the out of the courts and he ended up being the poster child of Islamist regimes. His family leaves and escapes to Qatar. While his dad was known to be campaigning with or for the president of Sudan and Afghanistan wherever else, it's just bizarre. Every one of the most of these stories end up being bizarre. Now, there's some real hate that happens out there. Quebec saw six Muslims assassinated in a mosque while they prayed. That is real hate that needs to be addressed. But if we don't, Google, by the way, look at CARE, MPEC, and other organizations in Canada and the United States, see if they said anything about how heinous it is for not only this 11-year-old girl, she's not even an adult, but what about her parents? What about the families? What about the organizations that exploited this? What about Prime Minister Trudeau? He should apologize to the Canadian community for implying that they fostered a climate that created the hate that this girl and her family blamed on Canadians when, in fact, she fabricated the whole story. And the police concluded that. The whole thing was a fabrication, and they retracted it, and the sort of story goes away. And yet, this isn't about a retraction on page 20 in the little fine print of a newspaper. This is a story, like the Clockboy story, that got a lot of mileage with a sort of impudiation 
of the Canadian culture as being intolerant? Where's the apology from these people? Where's the Islamist groups? So in the wake of Martin Luther King holiday, I ask American Canadian Muslims, where are you on this story? Yes, women should have the right to wear the hijab, but there are non-hijabi Muslims. There are important hate crimes that we need to fight, but the best way to fight it is for the West to see us leading the cause against the pathologies that are creating radical Islamists. Not the few acts of hate that might happen against Muslims, but what about the hate that creates the Al-Qaeda's and the ISIS's and the Muslim Brotherhoods of the world? We're going to talk in the next segment about how the Muslim Brotherhood basically declared now war on the United States. Where's the Muslim community in that battle? We're, we're missing an action. We are missing an action on major global battles with organizations based in Egypt and London, declaring America the enemy state, while we focus on the pathology of tribalism and young girls and others making up stories to get attention, and the Islamist civil rights groups are all too quote-unquote civil rights groups, but actually identity political movements is what they are. They're all too willing to use those stories for their own agenda. This must stop. This must end. You can't prevent the fabrications of a lost 11 or 16-year-old girl, but we can prevent the media bandwagon all the way up to the head of the government in Canada and elsewhere from exploiting that false narrative and helping dismiss the responsibility and, 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 and amplify the denial that exists in the Muslim community. Join me in reform, and we have to do this the right way, or else our legacy will be about victimization and nothing else. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform. This will be right back for our last segment. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Spoiler alert. Well, it's, it's known in the story. It's yeah, like, it's known when you see the movie. I didn't know that. Well, don't you want to know that they all make it back alive? When I see the movie, now I know. Oh, my it's, gosh. It's in the trailer. Oh, my gosh. It's in the trailer. You know, some people don't watch trailers because they don't want to know anything about it. It's still a good one. What it's, are you doing? It's a, Am I right? The Morning Blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Sudi Jasser. This is Dr. Sudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. This is where I bring you the stories that regular media just won't cover, don't cover. This is where you can get updated on where we are on the front lines in the battle for American security against the greatest threat in the 21st century, political Islam and Islamism. So in a global sense, this week we learned, thanks to the investigative project and the work that they do, in a piece written by Hani Goraba, a writer for Al-Ahram in Egypt, 
wrote this uh, specifically for the IPT. He writes for Al-Ahram Weekly, and he wrote a book called Egypt's Arab Spring, The Long and Winding Road to Democracy. And he also contributes to the BBC. So Hani wrote about something that was just, I, I read this and I said, I can't believe this isn't getting more coverage. This last few weeks, the Muslim Brotherhood basically declared the United States an enemy state. And we're having debates about whether the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood is a terrorist organization with their cross swords and their motto about dying by the way of Allah is our goal. Basically, they are about violence. And yet they claim to be peaceful. And we had idiots like, um, not secretary, uh, head of intelligence, NDI, uh, Clapper, that even testified that they were a secular organization. That was one of the lows, if there is was a low of the uh, Obama administration. Now Clapper's on CNN pretending to be a uh, expert because of his time in Washington. But in a statement recently, the Muslim Brotherhood announced last month, this was in Arabic, that the United States of America is an enemy after President Trump's decision to move its embassy to Israel, its embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. The statement was published in their Arabic language website, said Jerusalem is an Islamic and Arab land for which we make blood, freedom, and life, and we fight every aggressor and every supporter of aggression. It called for a unified Islamist and Palestinian response to, quote, ignite an uprising throughout the Islamic world against the Zionist occupation and the American administration in support of the occupation and against the rights and freedoms of the peoples, unquote. They issued a second release, an open letter to the Arab leaders with equally insightful rhetoric. They accused them of being weak in the face of the Zionist entity and urging them to enable their people. This is 300 million Arabs, right? Enable their people to defend Jerusalem and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is a statement of war. Can't be pushed aside as Goraba talks about. That's impossible. You can't ignore this. Now, why would they do this? Well, they want attention. They saw ISIS grabbing it. They've been on the run. Uh, El-Sisi is not necessarily using peaceful means to fight them. He's torturing them, imprisoning them, etc. But they're on the run. They're on the verge of decimation. But they have been in the past, and the victimization helps them, so why not create a new war? And they're on the way out anyway, so they have very little to lose. Their English language message was a bit more diplomatic. That was based out of London. The London offices of the Muslim Brotherhood at Ikhwan Online toned it down at Ikhwan Web. They called for peaceful protests in contradiction to the Arab call to ignite an intifada. And so you can tell they speak differently to the Western media than they do to their own Arabic media. And they pretend to be peaceful. The group urged Muslims in various parts of the world to rise up in peaceful popular protests to express their support of the freedom fighters in Palestine and the rejection of this move of the embassy to Jerusalem. 
called upon Muslims and others to express firmly the rejection of all evils committed against Palestine. So we have this debate. Can you believe we're debating whether the Muslim Brotherhood is a terrorist group, whether they can be brought to normalcy even after they ran government. And as I've said many times on this program, one year plus of the Muslim Brotherhood running government in Egypt did more to destroy the ideas of Islamism and the validity and the authority in Egypt than 60 years of oppression by Nasser, Sadat, and Mubarak, and now al-Sisi. The Muslim Brotherhood's ideas will melt away and they will expose themselves as they do here as being the enemies of freedom and liberty. But what is so important about what I just read to you, what is on their Arabic website of the Muslim Brotherhood, is it proves this is not an organization that can be tamed. This is not an organization that can be reformed into as what Tariq Ramadan and Qatar and many of these other groups, you have the Saudi government tell us that, oh, we can moderate these Salafi ideas. Now, the, obviously the Saudis and others have called them a terrorist organization, but the ideas that are the underpinnings and the foundation of the Muslim Brotherhood ideology is the same Islamist state, Islamic state supremacist ideas of the Saudi government or the Wahhabis and others. They just approach it from a more puritanical Salafi basis than a grassroots viral political movement basis. So, every opportunity, the United States simply made an obvious statement. We took off the table something that should have not even been on the table, which is allowing Israel to recognize its own capital, where it has its ministries, its Supreme Court, its Knesset, its government, its seat of government. And we've actually left on the table whether we can call that the capital. That's what they have their own capital. Is Saudi Arabia going to tell the United States that our capital is Philadelphia and not Washington? <laughs> that should have never been on the table. And they're doing this jujitsu where they are saying that somehow this move then declares all of Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. That's not going to change the status of areas not currently under Israeli control. So, the real status of the Muslim Brotherhood is obviously an enemy of freedom, an enemy of Western society, an enemy of our real allies like Israel. And we need to recognize that. And when American Islamic groups do not recognize it, it reveals their real colors. When they talk about, and you have American Muslims who are serving in the Obama regime, Obama uh, uh, administration that like Mohammed El-Bieri that had as his image the Egyptian four-finger two-finger spread image which was a symbol of the Muslim Brotherhood and then you see this and his silence nothing on his Twitter feed or anywhere else any of these folks that were participants in endorsing 
and I sat with Ambassador Patterson in Cairo in 2013 when I was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom trying to get them to abandon the support of the Muslim Brotherhood. They said, oh, they are democratically elected. And I said, so you're telling me no matter what the ideology of somebody, if they are democratically quote-unquote elected, every dictatorship claims to be democratically elected. And even if they are legitimately elected, which the Brotherhood was, we aren't going to have an opinion about the illegitimacy and the supremacy of their ideas of their Sharia state? That's absurd. And we, I laid out for her X, Y, and Z regarding their model, regarding their flag, regarding their symbols, regarding their funding and, and funneling of ideas to Hamas, the offshoots that created them ultimately, including Al-Qaeda. And yet, we see this today, they've declared us the enemy, openly. The Obama administration didn't listen. I hope the Trump administration is listening, and I hope future American leadership, by the weather, intelligence and defense and state and elsewhere are listening. We need to create that commission on radical Islam to begin to expose the threat from global networks like the Muslim Brotherhood. It is not a joke. It is not rocket science. One of the primary cancer cells, in addition to Saudi Arabia, in addition to Al-Azhar, of radical Islam is the Muslim Brotherhood movement. And they expose themselves in Arabic and even in English, it's not moderate, but at least it's not violent, but it exposes their deception, their duplicity, their taqiyya to misrepresent what they really are. Do your homework. You can only reform that which you understand. You can only help those Muslims that are on your side if you know which sides are what. And I think that's what this program's about. Week to week, I bring you the reality of who our friends are. Follow me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-G-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. Follow me online at www.aifdemocracy.org. Check out our videos at YouTube at AIFDTV. And at The Blaze, listen to my podcast, other, other broadcasts, week to week, as I bring you those stories that few others will cover. And we'll keep you up to date together. We will fight this battle for reformation. This is Zudi Jasser. Thank you for joining me and God bless. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.